welcome to the very next episode of Her Creative Hustle. My name's Elska. I'm here with you live at Adelaide Fringe 2019. Today's show, oh my goodness. I've been fangirling for like ages, waiting to talk to this woman. I saw her show a couple of days ago and I was pretty much crying at the end of it. (laughs) I'd never met her and I hugged her and started crying. She is from the US of A. She is a playwright and performer. She's done it all, literally. Singer, dancer, voiceover talent, actress. She's been in theatre, Les Mis, Little Shop of Horrors. She's an impersonator. She can do Dolly Parton, Madonna and Marilyn Monroe all at once. She has the most interesting life story you are going to hear. I tell you what. Ladies and gents, welcome to the show, Kathy Schenkelberg. Thank you. Wow, I'm just going to let you talk That was a great intro. Oh, thanks. That's that a, well, right on, there's no script there, girl. No, you well, just that's, did it. that's you. That's, that's everything it. that you've done. Uh-huh. Um, I just want to like pretty much just be like, it's, this is the Kathy Schenkelberg show. Just go and talk <laughs> for the next half an hour. But you have such an incredible life story. Before we even get into that, you are such a phenomenal performer. I watched your show the other day for like an hour and 15 minutes. You talked non-stop a one-woman theater show you didn't have the tricks of costuming or any fancy set you had a chair on stage a light and you captivated the audience for the whole entire time with your story your amazing acting talent your memory to be able to remember all of that those yeah. words that you spat out for like mm-hmm. 75 minutes your characterization being able to transform from one age to the next age and one person to the next person just it was incredible like i wish people listening to this could see it and if you if you are in adelaide and you are here for fringe over the next couple of weeks she is doing a show what's the dates let me get the info out now to march 10th for the solo show squeeze my cans yes squeeze my cans it's a great name (laughs) you'll find out and a cabaret show runs until the 17th of march so she's here the whole entire fringe at tandania theater go and see her because she is incredible incredible Mm -hmm. okay you've got an incredible life story but let's go back to the beginning when you when creativity started with you as a kid or even before that because you've got mm-hmm. an interesting story with your grandfather mm-hmm. um and step-grandmothers and what mm-hmm. they did in the in the world of um of entertainment right tell right. us about that well both my parents mothers died in childbirth which so is just i just found that just tragic like, it is tragic. so tragic my grandpa came over from germany and settled in omaha nebraska Um, he lost his wife after their fifth child was born. And so he raised the kids. And my mom's dad, uh, his wife died in childbirth, and he raised my mom. And he was a performer in the big band. He played the sax. And uh, so for five years, he was raising my mom. And he met a tap dancer who had an identical twin sister. And right before he fell in love and married her, he was offered the Benny Benny Goodman or one of those Lawrence Welk type bands. Mm-hmm. And he decided to marry her and start a, a, a greenhouse in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, right. But they're both very talented musicians. And um, my namesake, Catherine Ann, is named after my my step-grandma. She's my grandma, Grandma Trudy had a daughter and when she was 16 my mom's sister she was diagnosed with cancer and she died at 16 and my mom was pregnant with me and my mom said to her mom I'm going to uh, I'm going to have a, a daughter and name her Catherine Ann so I was born and she was my godmother for two months so I I feel like uh, akin to, I feel like I, I owe it to her to to 
continue on and and be the kind person that that my aunt Catherine Ann was. Amazing. Um, so brave at 16, saying, don't worry about me, I'll be fine, I'm going to be, you know, she, my, my parents, I grew up Catholic, so, so there was a lot of that foundation. But um, art and music and all that theater stuff was also there, but with a fa- coming from a family of 10 kids, it, there was a lot of competition. So though my dad was a firefighter and my mom was a housewife, I had to strive for attention. So for example, when I was playing basketball in third grade, I, I was, my dad was watching and I, I, was, I was dribbling down for a layup and I dropped my gum and I didn't want anybody to step on it. So I picked up the gum and put it back in my mouth and I saw my dad go, no! <laughs> but uh, theater was a way for me to express myself. My parents used to throw me up on a, on a little table and say, go-go dance. And I was five. So... And where did you where do you fit within the ten kids? Number seven. Okay. Number seven of ten, and uh, my family's a, I, mean, I have a family of tradesmen: firefighter, policemen, hairdressers, electricians. All love music and theater. Mm. But my mom in high school, I found some old news clippings. She didn't even tell me this. She was in tons of theater, and I said, "Mom," she goes, "Well, I was too busy raising you kids." <laughs> I was like, I was so amazed. I literally found out that you know a few years ago so it's insane yeah how many bedrooms were there in your house three you know it's funny I I try to present the uh, picture in my show I say there's four girls in one room four boys in in the other and the two were in the basement like an unfinished basement with a toilet over the you know in the laundry room um there were two bathrooms and 12 people and my mom used to say if everybody just picked up their shoes this house would be clean that's insane. Yeah, but it was fun. It was fun and it was good. And and the foundation of my childhood was lovely. It's not like I I have any tragic story to tell about yeah. abuse or neglect. Yeah. It was just, which in itself would be not cool, but I didn't have that. So when we fast forward later in the podcast talking about yeah. my, my story, that's not a part of it because I yeah. did have a good childhood. Did you go and study, or like when you're in school, were you in art mm-hmm. classes or theater? Or? Yeah, I was in um, choir. Uh, what are those glee club type yeah, yeah. things? Um, yeah. I did debate, um, storytelling in high school, um, performed in like talent shows back when Godspell was big. Mm-hmm. Remember that? And then I went to college uh, for a BFA in musical theater and acting in uh, Missouri. And um, I graduated in three years because I had to hurry. You know, I had to get out there and, and go for it. So I ended up moving to Chicago. Yeah. And I, I, I was thinking New York or L.A., and then I thought Chicago's closer to Omaha. Yeah. You know, an hour flight. So I, I hit the ground running in Chicago. And and, and so fresh out of college in the real world, what's that like going into auditions and, and getting jobs and things you like know, that. You know, when you're younger, there's a lot of angst and insecurity, that vulnerability that, that you question yourself. And, and when you get older, you go, ah, it's not so bad. You know, I, I wish I knew then what I know now, but I wouldn't have the story to tell. So, yeah. so in Chicago, there was a lot of competition. Um, really talented people, great theater department. I mean, I left and, and sang on a cruise ship. I, I sang in Vegas at trade shows. I sang with around a toilet in a whirlpool in a swimming suit. Anything for an extra, you know, buck here or there. Um, but voiceover hit early on in my career, and, and I, I talked about my first voiceover was Gerber. If it doesn't come from you, shouldn't it come from Gerber? And that made like $80,000 back then. I mean, that was a lot of money. That's before internet and web yeah. and, 
and cable TV. So, um, but I found that my hands were in. I I have I must have ADHD. I I think I have uh, that that attention thing where I got to do this. I got to do this. Mm-hmm. So I was good at a lot of things, and I always said I was never great at one. Right. So sometimes I regret that, but. But I, I think it's good to have your hands into a lot of pots. You meet a lot of different people. Yeah. You, know? you don't know where, where they'll take you. And I think today as well, too, a lot of the time creatives, so many people are good at so many things right. that you kind of have to at least have the knowledge across right. lots of things that are in, within your field to be able to understand I don't know a lot. You, I don't know if your parents ever said this to you, but my parents didn't, but other parents did. You have to have something to fall back on. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, they did? They didn't say that to you? No. Oh, yeah. They're like, go for it. Go I, th- for I don't it. know. I think it's like I felt that in myself when I, you know, was was in music. Well, I, uh, the same thing. I did music and performing my whole life, went to university and studied it, and then just went and lived life for a little while right. and kind of stopped for a long time. And then mm-hmm. I pulled myself back and went, oh, maybe I should go back and study in case I need to have, like, something later on as a job. So yeah. that's when I've went and studied music teaching oh. and got a degree like just had to study for one year and then I was qualified to do that because I already had my music degree and so I did that and I thought well I'll do it now because I was I don't know 26 or something I thought mm. I'll do it now because even if I don't use it now I might use it when I'm 36 or 46 right. and I'll have something if I need it right right and then going on and te- then I went on to teach on and off for five years uh-huh. until I got to this point now two years ago which was like I'm done with teaching I'm doing performing and I'm doing my music and doing this full-time because that's the life that I have to live to be happy you know that's a really good point I said uh, I was waiting tables for about a year and I said you know what I'm gonna quit and just focus on acting and everything just melded together it's like the weight of it's like I I, I felt like I had to have that diner job because that was a hundred bucks a day yeah and as soon as I got rid of that I was booking like crazy it was like you took that that must have I have to have money I have to have to have this and you put you invested in yourself and you believed in yourself now I'm not saying that after I lost everything which we'll get to that point that I I didn't fall back on something but I fell back on what I knew exactly how to do Mm. and that was to walk dogs and clean houses and take care of seniors which is I sing in um, senior centers just because I love it, I do a storytelling thing called I Used to Be Somebody. So I bring around a microphone and interview people and you find out the most amazing things. I want someone to be there for me yeah. when I'm older. My daughter says, I'll build you an outhouse, but she was watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. She was little and she said, <laughs> Mom, when when you can move into the house, I'll be, build you an outhouse and you can take care of my kids. I said, an outhouse is a bathroom. Fiona. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she thought it was like a guest room by the pool. Granny flat, we call it. Oh, like you a call little, it a granny like, flat. A little, uh, a little house that yeah. the, the granny lives in that's attached yeah. to the house. It's a risk to leave the stability of, of a and job you, and whatever it is that you mm-hmm. do and to throw yourself fully into that. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily say that that's the way for everybody because mm-hmm. I've also read an amazing book called Big Magic. I don't know if you've read that mm-hmm. one. Elizabeth Gilbert. It's all about uh-huh. creativity. And she talks about how you, you shouldn't have to be this starving artist in order to create art but that you shouldn't also have to put the pressure on your art to be the thing, the solely thing that creates the income for you right. so that it's okay to have a day job or another job right. that you get the money from that you need mm-hmm. to then be able to create the right. art that you do. But then it becomes like how much of that day job do you have to do? And if you're doing that five days a week, 
how much time do you have left to invest into your art too if it's one or two days okay Mm -hmm. but you know you've got to find that find that balance and that's a real good point because um, because I need to make insurance, I, so I do voiceover, and I have to make because I'm vested in in the union. I have to make a certain amount of money, thirteen thousand six hundred dollars, to make Plan Two insurance in the states. Uh, now, I have to if I want Plan One, I have to make thirty thousand, right. which is not that much compared to the three or four hundred thousand I was making that I lost. Yeah, and that's another story. But my daughter, in order to cover her, I have to cover her until she's twenty six. I need to make that insurance. So before I set off to do all this about four or five years ago to, to live on the road, I, I listed all my bills. What do I need? I got out of debt. I said, how much is my net? You know, like, what do I need to make every month? Mm-hmm. And then adding groceries and wine and whatever. Yep. Um, and I added that up and I went, oh, that's doable. I yeah. had one voiceover account. I could walk dogs. I could, if I need to clean a house for 80 to 100 bucks just to pay the phone bill, I can do that too. So that was kind of a freedom for me, just mm-hmm. going, okay, you need to make this much. Because when I was making a lot of money, I wasn't necessarily happy. And when I didn't make a lot of money, I found that I was happier because there was less pressure. Yeah. Uh, now, would I like to make a lot of money again? Yeah, sure. But I'm not going to wait to live. That's why I got a camper van and travel around in it with my show and write and things like that. So good. I think it's really important to reassess those things and see like how you are living and go, do I need all of this stuff and what do I absolutely bare minimum like yeah. have to have in order to survive or to take care of family or whatever it might right. be. I'm sure everybody's intrigued at, at the time when you were making three, four hundred thousand dollars or all this money that you did yeah. have and how you lost that money. So yeah. I'll let you tell the story, which is the basis of your show, Squeeze My Cans and Squeeze My Cans, the cabaret. Uh, and it's it's a pretty powerful story. So I'll let you tell it how you want to tell it. Okay. Well, um, in my early 20s, I was going to join the Peace Corps. I wanted to take, take a break from the acting, just go do something different. And I met a Scientologist, and I liked her, and I had done a commercial with her the year before. And so I kind of got in slowly, and I felt like I had my community and my purpose, and there were friends, and they were so great. And I would, I would go take these small little communication courses, and then I found myself suddenly investing in just this group. And the friends that were outside of Scientology were now acquaintances. And so the further I get got into Scientology, which started off very innocent, I found out that if I didn't continue, that I could pull in illness, disease, or even death. So I reached a Dianetic Clear, which is a, a book that L. Ron Hubbard wrote, and I was pregnant with my daughter, and I was told, you know, if you don't further up the bridge to total freedom, that you could die, and mm-hmm. your daughter could die. And it was that, it was, it was that point blank. So... So I felt like I needed to go through the upper levels. Each level costs more money in Scientology. And it was a slow indoctrination. I didn't realize how indoctrinated I was until I was trying to get out. Um, so there's a certain point in Scientology they were, where they introduce the aliens um, that are attached to your body. Now, if they had introduced that to me when I was just getting in, I would have said bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> but they waited until I was already five, six years in and I had 300000 on account to go up the bridge, and I opened the book, and there it is. And now I'm like, what do I do? Do I leave? Do I? And so my thing was like, just do it, get it over with, you're fine, just 
and then you'll be done and you'll be free and you'll feel great. But I knew it was kind of, I, I was like, this can't be real, but I'm just going to play the game because everybody around me is going, yeah, wow, can you believe it? Everybody on the planet is walking around with these alien life forms on their body and they don't even know it and they're different identities to them. And I was like, at a certain point, I, I, my daughter was like seeing me twitch. She, I, I literally had a physical reaction when a hair would go across my arm because I thought it was a, 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 a alien body thing life form so I run in and do a, a session on the e-meter which is like a lie detector and um, and then I come out and I twitch again and at one point she would say mommy why do you keep twitching well I had it in my head mm. that these guys were attached to me and the further I got indoctrinated the crazier I became see Scientology says you you know it helps you become more yourself the further I got in the less I became mm. And I wanted to move to New York, and I wanted to do more music, and I was singing in clubs and stuff. All of that went away when I was in Scientology. They said, you can sing or act next lifetime. So there came a point where I went into Scientology as an ingenue, and I came out, when I came out of it, I was, was middle-aged. I was a character actress. So I, I felt like I had to tell the story because it, I didn't, I didn't want to live anymore. So I said, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll go through this story and see if this will be therapeutic. So I did spoken word and coffee shops and bars, and and I found that it was healing. These seven, eight-minute little vignettes. And a, a playwright friend of mine in New York, Sean Grennan, he said, Kathy, you need to put this into a show. So in 2015, he mentored me. Now, mind you, I'm traveling around since 2013. Uh, I was declared a suppressive person. I was on food stamps. I had no money. So whatever jobs I could pick up here and there. So I started writing, 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 and I would throw things at him. Now, he's never been in Scientology, so he could easily come back to me and go, okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah, right. Because when you do the show, essentially, you're, you're telling it to someone who's maybe never heard of Scientology. Yeah. So you have to do it in a way that they will, you know, not, you won't lose them. Anyway, so I workshopped it in uh, Chicago where I got into Scientology. And then it's uh, June 6, 2016, I started doing it. And, and this is my last year, and I've never been to Australia. And I thought, you know what? I want to I wanna go to Australia. I want to do the show. And I added the cabaret show as a, just a fun thing for me to do. See, if, you, know, you know how you throw spaghetti on the wall to see if it sticks. <laughs> you know, no pressure. So um, in essence, it was therapy for my soul. It's in incredible. It's obviously in your show it goes into a, a lot more detail about it, and it's you really get to see the insight into it. And I've watched a couple of docos about it, and it's yeah. just like, oh, just what is this crazy thing? And one thing I want to tell you is that, and I think I said it at the end of my show. I try to say it at the end of the show because everybody has a story. My 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 Scientology story, my experience as a public person, not a celebrity, not a staff member in the church that signs that billion-year multi-lifetime contract. I was just a single mom who got into it because she wanted to help. And I found out that they weren't the group for me, so getting out was very difficult. But the thing is, is that anybody who's been in something, they were afraid to leave. Mm. Whether it was a job because of insurance reasons or a relationship because the kids are still young or, you know, a caregiver for a parent. Uh, it, it's hard. You feel, you, you feel trapped. And you have to find a way to tell your story and, and find um, art and beauty in it because that's part of you. If that didn't happen to me, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. 
you know, if I never got into Scientology, the millions of dollars that I have lost, maybe maybe it would have been lost in another way, you know, so. That's amazing mm -hmm. to, to look at it in such a positive way too, but also that human story that connects us all, which is that thing that mm -hmm. at some point in our life we will all find ourselves like stuck in something that we wish we could get out of, like you said, job, right. relationship, wanting to buy a ticket and go travel but not taking the leap of faith or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. It might right. not be easy. There's probably a lot of risks involved, but there is a way to, right. to get through the other side. There's two things. One is the, sh the show... My show, I like to reach the young people because Scientology has so many front groups. They go under a different name. Uh, Way to Happiness, a drug-free world, uh, uh, applied scholastics for education, uh, Citizen Commission on Human Rights, Narcan on Criminal. I mean, the list is endless. They'll, they'll flip the name around and go to a country where maybe they don't know about Scientology, or maybe they know about Scientology, but yeah. they've never, and then it's kind of the bait and switch. I refer it to the upside down and stranger things yeah, right. that get their tentacles in there. <laughs> They're not as big as as, as, uh, as as they claim to be, but if you do buy a book or sign up, you will be hounded for life, and you will be put in central files. They will count you as a statistic in the church. And the other thing I wanted to mention is the time I lost was far more damaging to me than mm. the money. We can all lose money, we can make money, but you can't. I can't get that time back. Yeah. So my daughter Fiona says it's like she's the mom and I'm the kid because I'm living. I'm living a dream. I'm living. I'm. I'm having a blast. And so you had her while you were obviously in yeah. in Scientology, Sci and she lived with you through oh, yeah. that. Yeah, I had a silent birth on the couch where you you Scientology promotes the silent births so you're not ingraining them with with things yeah. in their mind before they're born um yeah she was raised in it um and her dad was not a Scientologist I wasn't married to him and at a certain point he was uh you know I asked for child support and he didn't he fought the custody thing he mm -hmm. was like no you make too much money I'm not I'm not begrudging him I'm just saying that's the way it went down yeah so two hundred thousand dollars later in court because the church said fight for full custody don't let him get custody he's a suppressive person move to LA so yeah. I'm making $375,000 and I moved to LA at the top of my career who the heck does that and so it was it was literally I my income just fell fell to almost nothing when I moved to LA I mean I, I had a few voiceover accounts and stuff but it wasn't the same you know when you leave something at the at the height of it you don't leave right in the middle of a movie mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but um so at a certain point, Fiona was like, I don't want to do this, uh, but it took me another five years to get out. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's insane. But she's, she's rocking it, man. She's a musician. Um, she's uh, dropped my last name, Schenkelberg, because uh, it's connected to Scientology. Yeah. And, you know. So she goes under Fiona Gray, her middle name, G-R-E-Y, and she's, um, she's working a million jobs, writing and performing and you know selling stuff on ebay like you teach you, you know you used to teach the voice and the stuff she's she's doing that for kids shows and stuff that's amazing yeah so cool and it's great to hear that she's she's following in her mom's footsteps yeah. of creativity and she sounds like a super strong i tell her when i grow up i want woman. to be like her <laughs> <laughs> yeah so your show you've got your show here now your two shows that you're doing at fringe 
in Adelaide, Squeeze My Cans and Squeeze My Cans Cabaret. And then where to from there? What have you got on for the rest of well, the year? Well, I booked I booked the cabaret in Sydney at the news agency. I'm, I'm trying to book the solo show. But after that, I go back, I pick up my camper van, and I, I do the show in Northern California and then in Portland. And then I drive to Tampa, Florida, Orlando, drive back to the Hollywood Fringe, then drive to Toronto, Hamilton, Ontario, and then I'm in a f- final. I'm going to do the final show in Omaha, Nebraska, where my family's from, and then I'm hoping, and fingers crossed, I really want to document the show, uh, record it properly, but it's going to cost a lot of money. So I've got someone interested in it who submits to Netflix, mm-hmm. and I would like to document the show, and then continue doing my cabaret show. And I just um, submitted my children's book to be published, and it's going to be published this year. My uh, series of children's books. Amazing! Yeah. What are they? What's the? What's the I'm not going to tell. I'm so excited, but I will tell you. I'll have to wait and see. You will. It's it's something very unique, and it's a series of six books. Oh, cute! And then I'm writing uh, another show, which does has nothing to do with Scientology. Has everything to do with just, uh, you know. storytelling and and um kind of in the same context of solo show but mm-hmm. but uh, a theme that you've never heard of before and i will bring that one back here yeah for sure incredible i'm can't wait we yeah. all can't wait yeah. we can't wait to hear it kathy schenkelberg thank you so much for being on her creative hustle today what an incredible story that you have and a story aside you're just an absolutely brilliant brilliant performer uh, and artist and creative and so inspiring to be just kicking on doing it and not giving up and um, just your talent is just incredible please go and see Kathy's show whether it's in uh, here in Adelaide and up until the 17th of March squeeze my cabaret and her show Squeeze My Cans which runs until the 10th of March at Tendania yes at Tendania or if you're in Sydney look her up or if you're in the US look her up the website has it all well yes we'll put all of that in the bits on the thing you're you're taking care of your girls everyone can find (laughs) (laughs) sounds so wrong but I just want to say being supportive of, of other women is so important and this is a beautiful thing you were the first person to reach out to me when I was um, you know before I even got here and I, I you were the very first person that showed an interest and I just appreciate that and I wanted thank to thank you. you for that thanks thank you for being a part of her creative hustle all right we have one more big question at the end Uh-oh. it's gonna change your life Uh oh you ready for this yes okay tell me whether I hope it's not political. No, it's not. The color green Mm -hmm. tastes like lime or apple. Oh, definitely. (laughs) The first thing I thought of was apple. Okay. (laughs) But I want it to be a lime because there's nothing better than a little lime in a uh, club soda. drink, (laughs) pretty much. Any drink. I can can only drink wine and beer. I can't really drink hard alcohol anymore. Something changed, but a little lime and some club soda is good. All right. If you see Kathy around, get her a club soda with lime and she'll be your best friend. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kathy Schenkelberg, for being on her creative hustle. And that's the end of the podcast. 